Welcome to the second episode of Always Something Podcast. How are you, Sharon? I'm doing well today. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing good. It's been a pretty good day. So I'm so still excited from last week's show. Uh, Tim did an excellent job, I thought, and he was a joy to have on. Yes, he so was. I so much enjoyed uh, the conversation with Tim. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of his story. I'm sure our listeners are looking forward to hearing the rest of his story. You know, um, life is something else. Life is something. It's a continuous lesson. It's always something. It's always something. Absolutely. So are we ready to get started with part two of Tim? Today, Tim is going to talk about from um, high school to his early adulthood. So that should be very, very interesting. Hello, Tim. Hello, Patricia. And hello, Sharon. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I would just share with you, if you see me screaming and yelling or running, I'm beside my window and we're having a major thunderstorm, lightning and thunder. And I have a fear of lightning, which is from childhood. Mm. (laughs) It's another thing about Uh, childhood. So if you see me drop the mic or run, it's trauma. That is why. Oh, but other damn. than that, I'm excited. I'm glad to be back. And I'm just really happy that you're asking me to continue to share my story. Well, Tim, we're glad you're back. And we're really excited to hear what you have to say tonight. And I know our listeners audience have been looking forward to hearing part two of Tim's story. So let's get started. Let's get started. So I'm going to pick up right where we left off. We were talking about school. And I remember saying, imagine being in high school and everybody's getting a class ring. Everybody's getting their pictures. My pictures aren't even in the yearbook. My high school picture is not, there's, there's my name with no picture. Oh, wow. No class ring, no school jacket, nothing. <clears throat> so I tried my best to fit in, right? And tried to hide the fact that at home we were going without. I, I'm living in a, a family where my father is a gambler. And like I shared before, very unstable, And so I was older. I knew what was going on. And I just had this dream. I got to get out. I got to get out. I want to get out. So college, college, college. And by the grace of God, and I would have to say some good genes as well. I I did very well in school. I excelled in academia, academics. And my senior year, I knew if I didn't get a scholarship, I wasn't going to be able to go to college. Nobody could afford to send me to college. Nobody in my mom's family went to college. I'd be the first one. And my dad, I didn't mention this before, but my dad's brother is very successful. Both of them went on to have amazing careers and I would say became what you would call very successful and millionaires and what they did. But they disowned my father. My father was like the black sheep. They knew he had problems, especially with money and gambling. So they kind of just stuck away. So I didn't have them to rely on. I had nobody. And I knew I had to get the scholarship. So I did my best. I did great. And I got my scholarship. Funny story, but not so here's, this tells you how the addict is. This will tell you. It was another event where my father had to appear because he had to take my mother. It was graduation. He missed everything I did. 
I was I was the star in two of my plays in high school. He never saw me in one play. I was in I was in plays all the way from ninth grade through my senior year, and then my senior year I got the lead in two of our plays. One was a musical, and one was a drama. But anyways, he didn't show up, so he had to go to call. He had to go to my graduation. On the way to graduation, he asks me, "Did I make the top 10? And I said no. And he starts screaming at my mother, "Why are we going?" Why are we going to this graduation? He's not going to get a scholarship. I'm not going to be embarrassed. What are we doing? Why are we even going to this? He was so angry. I was so nervous and so upset when I got there. This is how, and I, and I knew I had to get this to go to college. Sharon, Patricia, you're not going to believe this. They're reading the names for the Mets Harper Scholarship winners. Those were the donors that donated the money for the scholarship. And there were like 10 or 15 winners and they were going through the names and they said, and our next recipient is Timothy. And I stood up, the audience laughed because they didn't say my last name. And there was more than one Timothy in my class. <laughs> and they said my last name and I got it. And I, I probably could have cried. I was so happy, but it was just one of those moments. I'll never forget my entire life. Timothy. And I stood up. I mean, I had four kids in my class whose name was Timothy. And actually another one didn't get a scholarship, but anyways, it was just funny and I got the scholarship, but here's another sad moment, but a funny moment as well. At the end, all the scholarship winners are standing up there on the stage and they're taking pictures and they open up their diplomas to show the diplomas in the picture. I didn't get a diploma. My brother had stole my candy money. And I owed $35.50. So in mine says you owe $35.50 for candy money. And everybody else had their diploma. So there I am again, hiding, not wanting people to see what happened. Because at this point, I'd, I'd shared in the last podcast, my brother became an addict at a very young age. And so he was already stealing money, right? He was taking money anywhere he could find it. And he stole my candy money. And graduation night, when I got my scholarship, I didn't have a diploma <laughs> and I had to pay that over the summer, which I did. That was the trauma. So Tim, how did that, how did that make you feel when you opened that up and you saw that <sighs> you didn't have a diploma? How, how did you feel in that moment? I had a pit in my stomach. I mean, it was a horrible gut wrenching feeling. Like I was, because I had to pretend that I was happy that I was okay. I'm up there with all the scholarship winners, but I had to hide it again. I was angry. I was angry at my situation. I was angry at how we had to live. I was angry at my brother. I was angry the whole night. It was supposed to be one of the best nights I'll ever have. Your, for your graduation, you'll never forget it. But then to think of my dad screaming all the way to the, you know, to graduation, not getting a diploma, hiding it so nobody would see it. And then living with those feelings. It was pretty bad. See, that's kind of like what I was saying about this red tape kind of stuff. That's that red tape, all that, that business side of things, that they would traumatize a child over $35 and 50 freaking cents. Right. And not give you a diploma. I know. How crazy is that? They would, that, I mean, that's just traumatized. They open it up and there's nothing there but a, a bill. Seriously. Yep, that's what it was. Seriously. But Tim, I wanted to ask you, you said you were not in your yearbook. So I want to ask you, what made you not take the picture when, on picture day? And I'm wondering, I, were, you, were you feeling, because in, in your social life, were you feeling invisible? Did you feel invisible? No. You know what? I, I wasn't popular 
in the early years of my high school career. I was very withdrawn, very shy, didn't want to be noticed, Sharon, because I didn't want people to know my situation. Mm -hmm. So I tried to be a wallflower, but I was very smart, very intelligent, and I was the bookworm. So I played it off as the quiet, shy bookworm. And that's what I did, not to be noticed. Junior, senior year, the high school counselor recognizes that and starts to pull me out of my shell and tells me, you have talent. You can do this, you can do that. So I actually ended up on the stage in a role that was a comedian role, a funny Mm -hmm. role. And people started to notice me and laugh. And I would have these people who never talked to me say, that was great. You did great. I started to get recognition. So by my senior year, I had friends. I actually got voted the most funniest boy senior. Now you'll hear this. Many comedians talk about their, they're overcoming their obstacles in life by being a comedian and telling funny stories. I always did that. I was always trying to be funny mm-hmm. as f- to take the attention away from me. But the fact I even got voted that I never got voted best dressed. That can never happen. Remember, I didn't have clothes. I didn't get voted most likely to succeed, most likely to this, most popular boy, nothing like that. But I got voted the funniest boy. And to me, that was an honor because I got voted. They voted for me. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question. I don't know if Pat's wondering. Right. I know the listeners probably wondering. What did your dad say when you got that scholarship? Nothing. Nothing. I wonder how he felt. I don't know. And you know, I would think he should, he should have been feeling so small. At the time, I probably would have said something to him. I can't remember if I did. I told you so, or look at this, or you didn't think it was possible. I don't even think I said that to him at all. I mean, we didn't have a good relationship. It was never an honest, loving relationship where I could talk to him. I could my mother, but not him. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, at some point and I know you'd during ask that night, at some point during that night, was you proud of yourself? I was. I was. It was like a miracle. For me, Patricia, those little <laughs> things, that was like a miracle. I knew I had to get that scholarship. I knew that was my way out. You know what? And I was always thinking, I'll never, growing up, you can only imagine. I kept saying, I'll never live like this. I'll never live like this. I can't wait to get out of here. I want, and, and I became very angry at my family. And I just, anti-family. I mean, I would leave as I got older and was able to leave. I would do that. I would go and stay at friends' houses if I was allowed. They were very strict about that. Another bad memory. And I I wish I'm going to try to remember some good memories. I remember studying for a test. I was in ninth grade and I was up too late. And my dad took the light bulb out of the bedroom. So I wouldn't study because I, I, you got to study. You should study when you get home from school. You shouldn't be up late studying for this or for that. So my punishment was he took the light bulb. So I couldn't study because I didn't do what he thought I should do. And I, be, I became resentful towards him. You know that I, and, and here's the thing too, when people hear this, I don't want it to sound like I had the worst childhood ever. I mean, there was, there was, fun. My mom's family was loving and warm and friendly. And we had friends in the neighborhood that kind of knew our situation and would invite us over without saying what they were doing, but we'd we'd eat at their house. Right. And we'd go to school and have lunch. That's how we would eat. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. 
but I'm starting to remember those. And I used to become resentful. I've gotten to the point where, and I said this in the last podcast, I forgave my father so I could move on. That was for me. And today we have a relationship. Today we can talk. But I know you want me to go on to what happened after high school and the, and the scholarship. During that whole, pro- and I know this is exciting to hear this. During that whole process, I was applying for different colleges. And my father didn't support me at all. I had to have money to apply. Back then, I don't know what it is today, but it cost a lot of money to apply to different schools. And I, my high school counselor helped me. And I actually was accepted into one of the universities in Ohio that only myself and a girl in my class got accepted into. It was a very prestigious school. And I know I got in there because of my grades, my scholarship, but also my recommendation from my high school counselor and my teachers. That's how I got in. They were guiding me, sharing. Wow. I didn't know what to do. Nobody in my family went to college. My mom had no clue. She barely had a high school education. And my dad was absentee. You know, he worked in a steel mill. He never went to college. So I had to have people guide me. So I, I just, I'm very grateful to that person and my high school counselor. And then fast forward after that, and maybe I was going to say, maybe it's like seven or eight years ago, he was in a nursing home and he wasn't doing so well. And when I went home to visit my mom, we both went to visit him and my mom thanked him and I thanked him. And shortly after that, he passed away. I was able to thank somebody. So point being, when you're in that situation, growing up as an addict's child or children, there's people who help you. There's angels that come in your life that support you and help you. And you don't realize it until after it happens. And that was one for me. So helped me to get to college. That's amazing, Tim. That, that really is. I always say that you never know where the angels are. Angels all around you, helping you to get to what's been destined for you, even when you get off track. Absolutely. And those little angels drop in. They drop in and get you right back in the path. And you know what else? What's for you is for you, eh? <laughs> but Sharon, you know what else happens is you become an angel as well. You don't realize it. I mean, that there you go. innately, I think mm-hmm. as uh, adult children of um, addicts, I'll say that because it's any, any kind of addiction, and you, you get these certain patterns and, and hab- habitual ways of thinking and ways to cope as an adult from what you went through in childhood, and you innately help other people who are going through that, and you become their angel, you become their helper, their, you know, their friend, and, it's, and you don't realize you're doing it, mm-hmm. but it does come around full circle. So I'm, I'm grateful for yeah. all the people Like I say, you never know. You never know. Absolutely. Like I say, you never know who you're pulling off that cliff. You never know. You've been a lifeline, but you never know. You just never know. Your story is helping somebody, many somebodies, because that person going to tell somebody else. And it goes on and it keeps on giving. What well, Tim, when it was- You know what, Sharon? I just thought of this. I want to say this. Go ahead. Go ahead, Just Tim. Patricia. Go ahead. I, no, I- I just wanted to say, it just came to me. I, I want to say this. Many times I felt like giving up. And I talked about that on the last podcast. How did I get through that? I prayed. I just knew there was a better day ahead. And I want people to know today, if what happened to me as a child was reported, that would have been, that would have been child abuse. Right? So I was, I was actually... I mean, I went through periods of childhood. I told you my father beat us with a belt because he was beat with a belt and we had welts and the teachers one time asked me what's on. But anyways, all that happened. But I I held on. I just want people to know that you got to hold on. You can't give up. You can't 
You can't give up. It's a fight sometimes, but you just have to know there's better days ahead. And you can't really see that as a child when there's nobody there to help you. I started to see the light when I, my senior year, right? And then I got that scholarship and I said, this is going to happen. And it did. The day I went away to college, my mom had been putting it off, putting it off. She didn't want to talk about it. And the day I went, my mother said her life changed forever. She lost me. I was the one who helped her. Remember, I was the one who took the role over as the leader of the family, being the oldest child, working when I was in high school and trying to get things, you know, going through high school. And you just reminded me of what something I want to say this, and I forgot about it. And I'll go back. You asked me about my picture in high school. What had happened is back then, you would go to an independent photographer or studio and have your pictures taken, and then you would submit it to the yearbook committee. Nobody from your book committee said to me, we don't have your picture. I took the money that I had from my job at Long John Silver's (laughs) and I didn't know there was a time commitment. I went and I got my picture taken and it was too late and I never made the yearbook. And I was very upset. it, It still hurts me because I look at that yearbook and everybody's picture is there, but me, it's a blank. And it's, almost like that was my story. However, due to the fact that I was in other activities, I was in the uh, Spanish Honor Society, the Creative Writing Club, you know, just different groups I belonged to, the Drama Club. I was in all those plays. I did get my pictures put in in other areas, but not my high school picture. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to back up when you asked me that. I was trying to remember what the question was, Sharon. That's okay. So back to when I went to college, that day, my mom's life changed forever, but so did mine. I'd never been away from home. And I went five and a half hours away to a college. I moved away. So my mom went through a very deep, deep, dark depression. And there I am. I didn't know how to behave. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know. I was all on my own. No friends, nothing, no money. All these kids I went to school, they had their, their parents were writing them checks. They were there dropping them off. My friends dropped me off. My mom and dad never took me to college. My friends drove me to college. And there I am in a dorm, never having lived away from home all by myself. And then I remember this, going, getting my card for the dining hall. And I got to go to the dining hall and I ate every meal <laughs> three times a day. And Sharon, I went home for the first holiday, which I think was Thanksgiving. I gained 30 pounds. My mom couldn't believe it. Wow. So, <laughs> so, but imagine what I was before I got there, right? I was, I was probably 100 and, mm-hmm. 125, 130 pounds at six feet tall, six feet two. Wow. Yes. I gained, wow. I gained, I gained 35 pounds. So they call it the freshman 30. I, I probably got you to the weight you should have been. <laughs> right. So my mom kept saying, oh, you look healthy, you look healthy. No, I didn't. <laughs> I was worried. I mean, I was like big. I was big for me. I wasn't used to it. But during that time, that time away, a lot happened. Like I said, I was able to eat. I was able to do that. I had nobody telling me what to do. So I had to make decisions on my own. I had to find friends and make sure I got in the right crowd. And I did because where I went to school, everybody was an academic person. They came out of there. Most of the people that I associated with, they were either the valedictorian or salutatorian of their class. I wasn't. And that was, remember that I didn't make the top 10. So I never talked about that to anybody, 
but I was with all these people. So I, I got a good crowd. However, and if you know anything about college, when kids go away to school, they're introduced to drugs and alcohol and sex and anything else that, that you didn't get when you were home. And in my case, I got all of that plus food, <laughs> right? Plus shelter, plus the good things I didn't have. But I literally didn't know how to behave or react. It was so out of my comfort zone that I started to experience what they call disassociation. And I remember like being out of my body because I wasn't so I wasn't comfortable in my surroundings. And I had an episode and found out later it was basically an a panic attack, right? An anxiety attack. Because I'd never been away from, I was so homesick. I couldn't even focus in the beginning. But I had an episode where I walked myself into a hospital at the university and said, I'm dying. I'm going to die. I literally thought I was dying that moment. And they set me down and they talked to me, you know, did everything with my heart. And then they said I was okay. And, and me, because this is how my mom was, you know, we heard a doctor telling us we're okay. We're ready to, you know, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> if the doctor says you're okay, that means you're okay, right? However, he did say, I want you to see a therapist. And he gave me a therapist on campus. And that's when I first started into therapy and realized that I had a lot of not so normal or not so good thoughts and behaviors and beliefs that I, that I took with me to college from childhood. And I mean, that started my journey of healing and it was trauma. Like we talk about trauma healing, Whew, that started it. But also I realized not having had anything that when I had something I liked, I delved into it. I did a lot of it and I would just do it to an extreme. For example, drinking. Alcohol turned out to be a big thing for everybody in college. All my friends did it. So I would go, I remember doing it even during the week. Back then, I could wake up the next day and be okay. But I started drinking and I would binge drink. And I'm going to be honest, that, that was something that a lot of us did, but I would get sick. So what I would do, and this is going to sound weird, but I, I, would, I would actually make myself get sick to get the alcohol out of my body so I could go to class the next day. I learned how to do that. That wasn't healthy, but I did it, right? And I, and I, did, it, I did it a lot. Now, I'm going to say again, I say this a few times by the grace of God, of my understanding and my belief, I didn't have that addiction stay with me. I was a binge drinker. That's what I was. I was a binge drinker. I, I, I was a binge shopper. Whenever I'd get a credit card, back then they gave you credit cards. I always make a joke, the first credit card I got. And people are addicted to shopping. Okay, people are addicted. I didn't have anything. So what am I going to do with a credit card? To me, that's a savings account. I'm going to go and buy. And when they increase my credit limit, I just got a pay raise. I'm going to go buy some more. My first credit card, Sharon and Pat, I kid you not, was a gas card. And I didn't own a car. I had a Chevron gas card, but I could go to the gas station and get beer and cigarettes. And one of my friends who had a car because he came from a rich family, I'd say, I buy the gas road trip and we would all go. And we would drink and we would party. I also, when I'd get a credit card, a regular Visa MasterCard, I would shop because I wanted clothes. I wanted to look like everybody else. And I, I didn't have that. Oh, and I, I think back on what I took from what I took from the house to college and what I looked like and more. And, you know, I don't want to beat up old Tim 
for what he looked like, but I had no sense of fashion. I had nothing. I had no clue. And I'm watching all these people, like they walked off the face of a catalog or the cover of a catalog, you know, the way they were dressed. Everybody there had money and I struggled even in college. That was my point. I, college was great, but it was also a struggle. It was like being back in high school again, having to show face to all these people who had everything they ever wanted, you know, and I didn't. And I'm, I'm pretending like I'm like them. And it was hard to keep face. And that's when I went into depression, therapy, and then it was the beginning of my addiction. My addiction. So, Tim, you, you wasn't drinking because your friends was drinking. You was drinking because you was trying to mask the feelings that you had. You got me, Pat. That is what happened. That's how it worked because I was shy. I didn't fit in. I didn't have friends. And when I drank, I was funnier. I tried to be the funny guy, but when I drank, the walls went down. Tim opened up. Tim became fun and funny. And guess what? Everybody liked that Tim. And they would take that Tim along with him and invite him to the parties and invite him to different things. And I realized and learned that's what I like and that's what I'm going to be. So I did. Yeah. It wasn't because I liked the taste of beer. <laughs> and back then I didn't drink liquor because it was more expensive. So we drank that beer that they poured into those Dixie cups at the bars in college. And we would go when it was real cheap. So, yeah. And I've heard that before, you know, from people. I've heard people have told me they don't like the taste of alcohol, but they are alcoholics. But they do it to fit in, to belong to something, to be a part of something. They make, you know, it's an escape. It's an escape. But I was shocked when I was first told I don't like the taste of alcohol. And I thought, wow. You know, that is just kind of mind-blowing mind and mind-boggling because you think, oh, you love the taste of alcohol. And they're like, no, I, I don't really don't like the taste of alcohol. You're right. And I didn't either. And, and Pat, until you said that and asked me that question, I didn't realize that's really why I drank. I did. I drank to cover up what was going on and to be a different person mm-hmm. in front of everybody to fit in. It was always about fitting in. I don't have that today. Today, I'm so happy. And we'll talk about that next time. And you'll, I'll blow off your, your ears and blow your minds what happens, you know, with the rest of my life. I will tell you, it's just amazing, but I don't have that anymore today. I don't have to have everybody's approval. I don't have to drink alcohol to be liked. Tim likes Tim. That's great, Tim. But it took a long time to get there. And I'm, I'm skipping way that's ahead. Great. We're going to go through what's, you know, between now and then, but truly that's, yeah. it is. And I want, I want you all to know that and all the listeners as well. That's great. But I, I did go through college and I did graduate from one of the best schools in the state of Ohio. I'll just keep saying that. I can tell you. What well, Tim, is. did you? And it's not Ohio yeah, State. Uh, <laughs> it's not Ohio State. <laughs> well, did you, uh, Tim, did you drink the whole four years you was in college? Or at some point you say, you know, enough is enough. I'm not going to do this because. <sighs> Wow. Pat, where are you getting these questions? (laughs) Because you're making me think. And I will will share with you, and Sharon, I'll share with you, that I drank all the way through college. It was accepted. It was acceptable and expected. I mean, fraternities. Where I went to school, they they were like huge fraternities. I, I I didn't have any money to join a fraternity. That was out of the question. Right. I couldn't do it, but I would, I had friends who were fraternity brothers and they would invite me to their parties. I drank all the way through. 
I drank all the way through college and out of college. And I don't know how far you want me to go, but I ended up in a relationship with someone who was an alcoholic. And I started drinking on a regular basis because it was cool. And I literally went out and bought, because it was good for this person, making it easier for them to drink. I went out and bought crystal decanters and I had all the clear liquors. I had, I had my whole bar set up in my house. My friends got worried. My friends got scared. What's going on? You've never been like this. Now you're buying liquor. Now you're buying all this stuff, this alcohol. So that I carried that in. There was probably a point in my life where I did say to myself, am I, is this an addiction? Am I, am I an alcoholic? Because I know what an alcoholic is. My uncles, my aunt, my brother, right? I know what they are. I know. And was I fooling myself? Was I a functioning alcoholic? Like my aunt that I loved who, you know, she worked in the big bank in Pittsburgh and she, she dressed to the nines and she, she was from my, she was my mom's sister, but she got out of the little town and she made something of herself. And so I, she helped me along as well, another angel, but she, I, I liked, she would come and visit in our little town on the weekends, bring her own scotch Timmy, get me a glass, right? And she would drink scotch and water. And I learned to drink scotch and water because of her. Because it looked cool. And, and I fit in. And I could fit in with all the adults drinking alcohol. So, Pat, I, I think probably if I look back, that was probably my big thing I did. That was probably, if I want to say, during that time, I was, a, I was a binge drinker in college. And then I was a social drinker after college because I got a job. Right. And I wasn't going to school anymore, but I became a weekend drinker as well. Oh, I drank every weekend as an adult out of college. Every weekend. I continued that ritual, if you will. I also had another addiction and I, and I, I didn't talk about this last time. And I think it was a way to cope as well. When I was 14 years old, I started smoking cigarettes. At 16, my mom said he can do what he wants to do if he wants to smoke in front of us. If you have the, the nerve and the gall to smoke in front of us, you can smoke. So I started to smoke, Sharon, in front of them and then family members. So I was addicted to cigarettes. And I mean addiction like I had to have those every day. Just like my mom and dad, they both did too. They were both smokers. And I carried that addiction for 33 years. That was my first addiction. Then I followed it with alcohol. And then I follow it with another one that happens in the next episode. <laughs> I don't want to share everything, but, but I'm literally, as a young adult now, there I am. I'm doing very good with drinking and smoking and fitting in. It's all about fit. Because back then in the 80s, this is how long ago it was, right? People are still smoking. There's still commercials on TV. You, you're able to smoke in bars. Right. You're able to do things. So I'm, I'm still actively drinking and smoking and being cool like everybody else and watching those around me. I had friends I realized that were alcoholics and I attracted alcoholics. Kind of like what my mother did. <laughs> so I know I'm, I'm kind of speeding through there, Patricia, Sharon, did you have any questions you want me to, to any of those areas that I want to focus on that? Well, you know, just some things that I took note of as you was tell, as you were telling your story, especially about your faith uh, or your spirituality. And I thought when you jumped up, at your high school graduation for that scholarship, you know, without knowing. And I thought in my head, I just thought faith, you know, this faith, you jumped up, you was ready to receive it. You believed it was yours, you know, and that's faith. And as you went on and you talked and stuff, 
about when you got in, your circles were positive in college. You said you hung out with with everybody. Your circle was, was positive, you know? And I tend to think that when you are around positive people, people who are doing positive things, it tends to pull out the greatness in you. It makes you want to do better and be better. It tends to just pull out. That's my own philosophy. I just believe that, you know, it, it made you looking around at everybody so successful, you know, it, it, it pulls on you, you know, and how you talked about doing things to the extreme, you know, everything was to the extreme. That's amazing. I look back at listening to you talk and I say, yeah, I guess it was to the extreme. Everything was to the extreme, you know, but it, it's amazing. But, but still, you know that it wasn't for nothing. Cause you're here today. I'm here today to talk about it. Right. And, and faith. Exactly. You're so right. I remember going, I, I was born and raised Catholic. I talked about that. And I remember going to church and I did have a friend who was a priest. And I remember being grateful to God and thankful and also upset. I would, I would always think, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And I was, I was playing the victim a lot of times. I don't do that today, but I did. I learned that. And once I realized that I'm, I was the one who was in charge of my life, it was my choices that were getting me the results that were around me. And you touched on something mm-hmm. I believe in. And if it happens to be another episode, I would love to talk about it. But like attracts like, the law of attraction. What you put out, you get back. Reciprocity. And we're like human magnets for what we get. So what was happening around me is what I was attracting because of what I was thinking. So I also, I did a lot of self-awareness and self-development work as an adult, and I still do to this day. And I realized that everything that I went through got me to where I am today and got me prepared. So I don't regret anything, but it's good to talk about it like this and not in such a bad way that it takes me down to that vibration or that level to where I feel bad again about it. But it, it helps me to see how, what I overcame, what I was capable of. And to know I'm, I'm capable of so much more, even today. I was sharing with somebody, and you yes. know just what I've been telling you guys about my age, if you've been, if you've been listening to us for the last couple uh, podcasts, I'm telling everybody I'm middle-aged. And as soon as I say that, sure, and they laugh. <laughs> because with technology, with the way things are going, we're, I mean, by the time I get to be 80 or 90 years old, I'm going to call my doctor and say, hey, I need a heart. Can you get one for me? Okay, I'll, well, let's do it Wednesday. And I'll go in and get my heart on Wednesday. <laughs> They'll say, well, wait, you just had your knees like last week. Can you wait another month? You know, that's what it's going to be like. <laughs> I believe that. So we've got to prepare or I've got to prepare to know I've got all this still ahead mm-hmm. for me, all this potential. The best years are still ahead, mm-hmm. not behind me. Absolutely. And again, I just want to reiterate that about, I, I, I got to say this again and again, because this podcast isn't about the great times in life. You know, it, it's about addiction. There are good times in life, even with addiction. And I, my childhood wasn't the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And there was happy times. And, and I want you to know that. I want everybody to know that. Sometimes those little glimpses of fun and, and joy, going to an amusement park because somebody else paid, but you got to go kept me going to the next time, kept me going to the next fun mm-hmm. time that I'd have. And, and there would be times when there would be long gaps in between the fun times and the bad times, right? And, and, the, and the no food and the food and things like that. But we learned that there was always going to be a better day. And my brothers learned it as well as we grew up. So I always knew it was going to get better. I, even though sometimes it felt worse. I just want people to know it does get better and it can get better. And you're never in such a bad situation that you can't 
get yourself out of it and get better. I, I'm a believer with you, Tim. I believe sometimes we have to go through just to get to. I'm a believer in that. Sometimes we that's just our journey, you know. But I also believe that all our blessings are in front of us, you know, nothing behind us. But all our blessings are ahead of us. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know we're running out of time here and I've talked a lot. So I just want to leave you with this. Something so amazing happens and I'm going to be on the next podcast. I hope you guys, if you invite me back, I got to share with you something that happened to me that changed my entire life. It was so dramatic. I can't even tell you what it was. It, it happened out of the blue. It threw me for a loop. My name was announced and everybody where I was at heard it and all of them came over running to me. And it was one of those moments when I was like, wow, I'm a big shot. Wow. I've got this. Wow. This is so cool. I made it. I made it. <laughs> but you know what? That was the beginning. That was the beginning of something else that was not making it. And you'll hear that the next time. We can't wait to hear that. Thank Man, you got me on pins and needles, Tim. <laughs> you think you made it, but it turns out to be something that was right, Patricia. Absolutely. I can't wait uh, to tell you more. It was something I thought it was the best thing in my life, but it turned out to not be so okay, great. Okay, Tim. One of those moments. And I'll share that the next time. Well, Tim, me and Sharon, we thank you yeah, again thank you, for being on a podcast and telling your story. We asked our listeners to look forward to your final episode, which will be part three next week. And thank you, Tim. Oh, I appreciate you guys so much. It's an honor thank you so much. to be here. Thank you. Thank you guys for what you're doing. And thank you for having me. And I look forward to next week. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Uh -huh. Well, uh -huh. that's our show for today. If you want to get in touch with me or Sharon, you can email us at always something podcast at gmx.com. That's always something podcast at gmx.com. Sharon, do you have anything before we leave today? And that just was a wonderful show. Thank you so much, Tim, for sharing. I really I enjoy you every time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for part three of Tim's story next week. Something Podcast with Sharon and Pat.